was telling us, or at least um, I think he's called Father Paul now, um, <laughs> he was telling us that uh, um, when he's listening to long talks, he tends to zone out after a while. So uh, if you see him zoning out this morning, he's probably reliving the three tries that England scored against. Yeah. <laughs> Alan. Sorry, is that too soon? For Well, my team won last week as well, at last. <clears throat> We've been looking at um, the first few chapters of Acts at how the early church developed and uh, um, how we can apply what they did um, to make a kingdom, kingdom impact. And today we're looking at Acts 9, the conversion of Saul. And in terms of kingdom impact, this is just off the scale, isn't it? And Saul was his Jewish name, um, and Paul was his Roman name. So um, we're going to stick with Saul because that's what he's called when he's in his Jewish phase at the moment. Um, but then later on, uh, he was called Paul. That's what we know him as. And names are interesting things. Um, despite the fact that Irish is often used as a political football in this country, um, a few years ago, I went to an Irish class. and. It's very interesting. Um, and uh, I learned a little bit of Irish. And I found out that I have an Irish version of my name. So Ian Young in Irish is Sean O'Hogan. So if you see a Sean O'Hogan around somewhere or hear the name, it could be me. And, uh, you know, there's quite a few names that can be translated into Irish, English names. It tends to be uh, uh, names that um, are easy to translate. Um, new names tend not to be found in Irish. Um, and sometimes you can find an Irish name that's close to yours. So, for instance, Michael is Michal. So if you're a Michael, you're a Michal in Irish. John or Ian is Sean. James is uh, Seamus. Stephen is Stephon. Lawrence is Laurus. Paul is Paul. David is Dahi. Catherine is Kochleen, or Catch. Um, Koch is uh, Kate. Eilish is Elizabeth. Anya is uh, Anne or Hannah. Uh, Charlotte uh, is Caroline, or I've seen it also as Caroline. Uh, Judith is Judith. Uh, Soraka is uh, Sarah. And goodness knows how you translate Sergi into Irish. <laughs> oh, yes, and a couple more. Tommy is Tomas, and Terry is Terlach. There we are. Now, there's, 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 there's loads more, but nevertheless, uh, we all have names in different languages. And Saul, as we say, would be known as Saul in Jewish circles, and Paul when he was talking to people in other parts of the Roman world. And, of course, we know him as Paul. And he was responsible, as we all know, for writing nearly half the books of the New Testament and for spearheading that very important missionary work throughout the Roman world. Um, in the last two or three weeks, we've looked at Stephen's life and Philip's work in Acts 6, 7, and 8, and we've caught glimpses of Saul being present at Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 7, sorry. And in Acts chapter 8, we read... And Saul approved of their killing, that's Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, uh, oh, sorry, of their killing him, their killing Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. 
and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 3, but Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So when we look at Acts 9, we see that Saul, also known as Paul, was on a mission. Things were getting really hot for the Christians in Jerusalem. Persecution, arrests, and some deaths. Many had to leave Jerusalem and move elsewhere. And although it must have been extremely difficult for them, it was actually falling right into line with God's plan. Uh, one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and 8 was, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here it was starting to happen. Not quite in the way anyone expected, but God's like that. And he can always bring good out of the most difficult of circumstances. So we're going to have a look at Acts chapter 9 now. Whenever I talk, my, uh, my mouth dries up. So we'll look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, if we could, uh, yes, get that from there. Um, and we'll go through the passage. I'll read it from my version here. Um, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are, per whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. The Lord told him, sorry, um, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in, his, in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, 
he, re he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called in his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers heard of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So who was this Saul? Well, he was a man from Tarsus. It's a town now in southern uh, Turkey, uh, but then governed by Rome. And it was on the important trade route through Syria to the Middle East. Um, it was like living beside an important motorway. And Saul was Jewish, the son of a Pharisee. He also inherited from his father his Roman citizenship. Of course, dual citizenship is much more common now, especially after Brexit. Linda, like many others, got an Irish passport just after the Brexit referendum happened, whereas I have no Irish ancestry and uh, I haven't got one. She tells me that when we go to Europe, uh, after Brexit is completed, she will be relaxing um, with her coffee and cake while I wait in the long lines of non-AU passport people. Thanks, Linda. Um, <laughs> anyway, the Pharisees that Saul was part of, were a Jewish religious group. And they were strict legalists applying the Old Testament laws to everyday life. They were like religious lawyers who applied the religious law to every possible minute detail of life. And they worked in the synagogues and in schools. They weren't paid, but they earned their living either by copying documents, and that's why some of them were known as scribes, um, or by working a trade, and in Saul's case, this was tent making. By 12 years old, Saul would have memorized the first five Old Testament books, the books of the law, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And we often struggle to learn individual single verses or short passages. And then he would have gone on to memorize the prophets and the Psalms. Um, Pharisees then went to training schools to learn about how to be a Pharisee and apply the law under some Jewish religious expert. And Saul was sent to Jerusalem by his father uh, 
and uh, in his, probably in his teens, to learn under the most highly respected teacher of the day, Gamaliel, for about 10 years. This was like the Oxford and Cambridge of Pharisee schools. He was obviously bright and zealous, and he must have come to the attention of the chief Pharisees in Jerusalem. He was clearly being fast-tracked to high office as he was given this important mission to go to Damascus. So here is Saul steaming off on the road to Damascus. We see that in verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Breathing murderous threats against the way. That was what they called the Christians in those days. Uh, uh, they were known as the way. And I suppose it speaks of the fact that it wasn't just what they believed, but what they actually did was important, the way they lived. And uh, they actually lived out their lives before the people. They show the world that Jesus had changed their lives. Saul was a man on a mission to eliminate the followers of Jesus. When I was about eight or nine, this incredibly strange TV program started called Doctor Who. And Doctor Who's arch enemies were the dialects. And the dialects looked like giant pepper pots with ice stalks on top, a death ray gun stick, um, and an arm like a sink plunger. And they used to, they didn't have very much small talk, and uh, they seemed to repeat the word exterminate in a very strained mon monotone voice. This was a bit like Saul. He was a man with a mission. He was fanatical. He was determined. Completely fixated on exterminating those pesky, exterminating those pesky Christians whom he regarded as dangerous heretics. And as well as that, he thought he was doing God a favor. He was on his way to surprise the Christians in Damascus with an unexpected raid. He was like a mini spy. We'll continue. We're getting to the crux of the story in verses 3 to 9. And here is Saul on his way to arresting Christians. And as he nears Damascus, God arrests him. The hunter becomes the hunted. A bright light shone, causing, uh, causing uh, Saul to fall to the ground. And he heard the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And of course, he didn't know who he was. So... Um, he asked, and he got the totally unexpected reply, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine the turmoil in, in Saul's mind? For 30 years, he'd grown up trained as a Pharisee. And there was a tradition uh, of Pharisees that when a boy of a Pharisee was two, they would give him the scrolls of the law to lick. They'd put some honey on, and the, they wanted the first memory of this boy to be that God's law was sweet. Remember in Psalm 19, it talks about uh, the virtue of God's law and describes it as sweeter than honey. 
And then after that, about 28 years of learning and training had suddenly collided with a brick wall in the person of Jesus. And, I mean, in Saul's mind, Jesus was a fake and deluded. And yet here was Jesus who had stopped him in his tracks. And you could imagine the, the complete shock Saul must have been in, his encounter with Jesus, the overwhelming power of the presence of the Lord, the blinding light, this and the fact he lost his sight. It's no surprise he didn't say anything at the time. He just received instructions to go into Jerusalem and wait. And his companions had to lead him there because, of course, he couldn't see. And those next three days were crucial and must have been very difficult. Uh, the blindness itself would have made it life difficult, but it was like a visual reminder of his inner spiritual blindness. He was praying and fasting, turning over in his mind the implications of what he'd just heard, of the starting revelation about Jesus, and the decision that he had to make in those days to change his way of life and his way of thinking completely to accept Jesus. One meaning of repentance is a complete turnaround uh, of going in one direction and then turning and going in completely the opposite direction. That's what Saul had to do to reject the Jewish salvation by works approach and accept the grace of God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. To completely change from a narrow legalistic view to accepting Jesus into his life and live for him, to become like the Christians who only days before he'd been imprisoning and killing. And this is what he clearly did. He turned to the Lord. And now we come to Ananias. I like Ananias. Uh, you see that in verse 10 to 16. He is, by all accounts, just an ordinary Christian in Damascus who God had an important job for. God called Ananias in a vision to go to Straight Street and pray for Saul from Tarsus. And, and then God said, oh, and by the way, I've told him you're coming to pray for him and restore his sight. So God set up the appointment in his diary. There are some times when God asks us to do something and we aren't exactly keen. And we, we think really, couldn't you just get someone else to do it, Lord? And it was just that sort of moment that Ananias had. And he blurted out exactly what was on his mind. He said, Lord, don't you know who this man is? He's come to destroy us. It could be a trick. As if he was expecting God to say, you're right, Ananias. I forgot about that. Don't worry, I'll get back to you. But no. And God was so gracious. He understood Ananias' reluctance. Just like he understands our reluctance when he asks us to do things and we have concerns. They may not have had social media way back then, but the Christians were a small, close community, and they'd have heard all about Saul and knew what he was up, up, what he was up to. They probably had friends, relations who'd been arrested, possibly killed. And what the Lord does is he actually lets Ananias into more of his plans. He doesn't rebuke him for his uh, lack of faith. He tells him that Saul is a part of his master plan, his chosen instrument. The most important thing is that Ananias said, yes, I'll do it. It isn't how we start, but it's how we finish that's important. I like Ananias because he's real. He shared to the Lord, with the Lord what worried him, and he came through it, and he did what, he's, what he was asked. 
gives us all hope. And as we can see in uh, verses 17 to 19, Ananias went straight to Straight Street, and he found Saul, and he greeted him as Brother Saul. Imagine how welcoming these words were to Saul, words of acceptance. He must have had great concerns uh, about what was going to happen when he accepted Jesus and how he'd be uh, accepted by people he'd been arresting and killing just a little while before. And of course, Ananias laid hands on him and Saul regained his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he got got baptized in water and then took some food. This was the complete gold star Christian package all in one go. Salvation, healing, filling with the Holy Spirit, water baptism. I wonder what was left for him to do the rest of the day. What the story reminds me is that God wants to work with us in partnership to bring people to know him. We often concentrate on the Damascus Road encounter, the spectacular God bit, but God needed Ananias to do his part in the process. And he needs each one of us to share our faith with others and to be sensitive with his voice of of the Spirit. We don't have to be uh, specially gifted. We have to be there, available and willing. Without Ananias, God's plan would not have been completed. Then we see in verse 20 to 22, Saul spent some time with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he preached in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And uh, remember, at this time, Christians went to the synagogue because Christianity was considered to be a fulfilled version of being Jewish. And Christian Jews would meet with other Jews and follow Jewish religious practices. As far as preaching and teaching was concerned, uh, Saul was, in the strange words of Boris Johnson, often ready. His background in studying the Bible teaching Uh, and debating meant that once he'd made the decision to go for God, uh, he had all the ammunition to actually make a a difference. And this confused the many Orthodox Jews in Damascus who thought he was here to sort out all those wretched Christians. And instead, he was proving to them that Jesus is the Messiah. How annoying. Saul had suddenly gone from being the Orthodox Jewish enforcer, the chief hitman, to becoming the biggest liability and PR disaster for the Orthodox Jews. He'd suddenly become their public enemy number one. And so they planned to kill him. And we see this in verse 23 to 25. It says that they were watching at the city gate to grab him as he passed. But Saul got wind of what they were planning and he evaded them. And instead of leaving by the city gate, he left using the lift. Uh, being lowered down from the walls in a basket and escaped to Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem, you see in verse 26 to 31, he tried to join the disciples, but they were a bit nervous. They thought it was a trap. They thought he was possibly there to, uh, uh, to get them. Uh, they were trying to, he, he was trying to infiltrate, um, and they were too scared to associate with them. And then one of my favorite characters in the Bible steps in, Barnabas. Barnabas was actually Joseph, 
But he was given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Imagine walking around with that name. But he really fulfilled his name. We certainly need more Barnabases today. He was a man who saw the good things, the positive things in people, saw what their callings were, and then made it his business to encourage them and mentor them. He exhibited the heart of Jesus. Our mission is not just to see people come to the Lord, although that is a fantastic thing, but to make disciples, to see people come into the fullness of everything that the Lord has for them, to see them grow in their faith. And that's what Barnabas was about. He championed Saul, and he brought him before uh, the disciples, vouching for him and telling him the story. And so Saul continued in Jerusalem, debating with many Jews uh, about Jesus until the Jewish authorities got wind of what he was doing, and they tried to kill him too. So once again, the Christians had to send him away, this time to his hometown in Tarsus via Caesarea, where things weren't quite so hot, and he stayed there for a number of years, growing in his Christian faith and learning and preparing for his future apostolic role. Saul, or AKA Paul, um, had um, an incredible impact um, on the transition of Christianity from being just a small localized religion to a global faith. And he made an immense impact. And the Lord invites each one of us today to play our part in expanding his kingdom and fulfill our callings. Thank you.